Alma chapter 17. Mormon was a master historian, and at this point he found among the Nephite records a supplementary record of Alma that went back 14 years. It described the experiences of the four sons of King Mosiah who had gone down to preach the gospel to the Lamanites. Alma wants us to know that the four sons of Mosiah recently returned to Zarahemla and then relates to us the exciting story of what had happened during the 14 years they were gone. Their story comprises chapters 17 to 26 in the book of Alma. And now it came to pass that as Alma was journeying from the land of Gideon southward away to the land of Manti, behold, to his astonishment, he met with the sons of Mosiah, journeying towards the land of Zarahemla. It was an exciting encounter when Alma suddenly met his old friends, whom he hadn't seen for fourteen years. There was a lot of fast talking as they tried to describe what had happened to them. Now these sons of Mosiah were with Alma at the time the angel first appeared unto him. Therefore Alma did rejoice exceedingly to see his brethren. And what added more to his joy, they were still his brethren in the Lord, yea, and they had waxed strong in the knowledge of the truth, for they were men of a sound understanding, and they had searched the Scriptures diligently, that they might know the word of God. But this is not all. They had given themselves to much prayer and fasting. Therefore they had the spirit of prophecy, and the spirit of revelation. And when they taught, they taught with power and authority of God. And they had been teaching the word of God for the space of fourteen years among the Lamanites, having had much success in bringing many to the knowledge of the truth. Yea, by the power of their words, many were brought before the altar of God to call on his name and confess their sins before him. Now these are the circumstances which attended them in their journeyings, for they had many afflictions. They did suffer much, both in body and in mind, such as hunger, thirst, and fatigue, and also much labor in the spirit. Alma was not only excited and happy to meet his old friends, who were converted by an angel the same time he was, but as he talked to them he was especially delighted with four things. First, they still had radiant testimonies of the gospel. Second, they had become ardent scholars of the scriptures. Third, they had vigorously cultivated the Spirit of the Lord with fasting and prayer, so that they enjoyed the spirit of prophecy and revelation. Fourth, they had endured the most severe trials and afflictions, but had kept the faith. And fifth, they had reaped a marvelous blessing by having thousands of Lamanites join the church. Some of these had been killed by the Lamanites who opposed their coming into the church, but the survivors were being brought back by the thousand to Zarahemla to make a new home. Beginning with verse 6, Alma begins telling the story that his four friends had recorded on plates and which Alma later incorporated into the Nephite library. Now these were their journeyings. Having taken leave of their father Mosiah in the first year of the judges, having refused the kingdom which their father was desirous to confer upon them, and also this was the minds of the people, 
Nevertheless they departed out of the land of Zarahemla, and took their swords and their spears and their bows and their arrows and their slings. And this they did that they might provide food for themselves while in the wilderness. And thus they departed into the wilderness with their numbers which they had selected, to go up to the land of Nephi to preach the word of God unto the Lamanites. Notice that the four sons of King Mosiah took a group of carefully selected friends with them. And it came to pass that they journeyed many days in the wilderness, and they fasted much and prayed much, that the Lord would grant unto them a portion of his Spirit to go with them and abide with them, that they might be an instrument in the hands of God to bring, if it were possible, their brethren the Lamanites to the knowledge of the truth to the knowledge of the baseness of the traditions of their fathers, which were not correct. We observe that this was a sacred missionary venture right from the beginning. They were prayerful and sought the Spirit of the Lord to guide them. And it came to pass that the Lord did visit them with His Spirit, and said unto them, Be comforted. And they were comforted. And the Lord said unto them also, Go forth among the Lamanites, thy brethren, and establish my word. Yet ye shall be patient in long-suffering and afflictions, that ye may show forth good examples unto them in me. And I will make an instrument of thee in my hands unto the salvation of many souls. And it came to pass that the hearts of the sons of Mosiah, and also those who were with them, took courage to go forth unto the Lamanites to declare unto them the word of God. Not only did these men talk to the Lord, but the Lord talked to them. He promised that if they would be patient in enduring their afflictions, they would bring salvation to many souls. And it came to pass, when they had arrived in the borders of the land of the Lamanites, that they separated themselves and departed one from another, trusting in the Lord that they should meet again at the close of their harvest. For they supposed that great was the work which they had undertaken, and assuredly it was great. For they had undertaken to preach the word of God to a wild and a hardened and a ferocious people, a people who delighted in murdering the Nephites, and robbing and plundering them, and their hearts were set upon riches, or upon gold and silver and precious stones, Yet they sought to obtain these things by murdering and plundering, that they might not labor for them with their own hands. Thus they were a very indolent people, many of whom did worship idols, and the curse of God had fallen upon them because of the traditions of their fathers. Notwithstanding, the promises of the Lord were extended unto them on the conditions of repentance." Once these missionaries separated and went out among the Lamanites, they could see that this was going to be a rugged experience. The Lamanites were a wild and ferocious people. They spent their time robbing and plundering one another. They were an indolent people, worshiping idols and living a wild, almost uncivilized type of life. Therefore, this was the cause for which the sons of Mosiah had undertaken the work that perhaps they might bring them unto repentance, that perhaps they might bring them to know of the plan of redemption. Therefore they separated themselves one from another, 
and went forth among them every man alone, according to the word and power of God which was given unto him. The leader of these missionaries was Ammon, who blessed each of the missionaries before they went out on their various assignments. It was agreed that in due time they would return and report. Now Ammon, being the chief among them, or rather he did administer unto them, and he departed from them after having blessed them according to their several stations, having imparted the word of God unto them, or administered unto them before his departure. And thus they took their several journeys throughout the land. Ammon turned out to be a man of great physical strength and a keen intellect. He chose to go down to a region known as the land of Ishmael. It was named after the elder apostate son of Father Ishmael. They had apostatized and become Lamanites almost from the beginning. And Ammon went to the land of Ishmael the land being called after the sons of Ishmael, who also became Lamanites. And as Ammon entered the land of Ishmael, the Lamanites took him and bound him, as was their custom, to bind all the Nephites who fell into their hands, and carry them before the king. And thus it was left to the pleasure of the king to slay them, or to retain them in captivity, or to cast them into prison, or to cast them out of his land, according to his will and pleasure. Obviously, Ammon did not get a warm reception. The very first Lamanites he met pounced on him, bound him with ropes, and took him to the king to see if he wanted to kill him. And thus Ammon was carried before the king, who was over the land of Ishmael, and his name was Lamoni, and he was a descendant of Ishmael. And the king inquired of Ammon if it were his desire to dwell in the land among the Lamanites or among his people. And Ammon said unto him, Yea, I desire to dwell among this people for a time, yea, and perhaps until the day I die. And it came to pass that King Lamoni was much pleased with Ammon, and caused that his bands should be loosed, and he would that Ammon should take one of his daughters to wife. But Ammon said unto him, Nay, but I will be thy servant. Therefore Ammon became a servant to King Lamoni. And it came to pass that he was set among other servants to watch the flocks of Lamoni according to the custom of the Lamanites. Like the good missionary that he was, Ammon undertook to ingratiate himself with the king and the king liked him. In fact, he wanted Ammon to marry one of his daughters. Of course, even in those days, that would be against missionary rules. So Ammon wiggled out of this embarrassing situation by offering to become one of the king's servants. We suspect the king wanted this big, good-looking Nephi to be his son-in-law. But anyway, the king accepted Ammon's offer to be a servant and sent him to watch the flocks of the king. And after he had been in the service of the king three days, as he was with the Lamanitish servants going forth with their flocks to the place of water, which was called the water of Sebus, and all the Lamanites drive their flocks hither that they may have water. Therefore, as Ammon and the servants of the king were driving forth their flocks to this place of water, behold, a certain number of the Lamanites who had been with their flocks to water stood and scattered the flocks of Ammon and the servants of the king. 
and they scattered them insomuch that they fled many ways. Ammon didn't realize it, but this assignment could have gotten him killed. The shepherds had barely gotten the king's flocks out to a watering hole when they were attacked by a crowd of hoodlums who made it a habit to scatter the king's flocks and then steal some of them before they could be gathered together again. Ammon found out that when this began to happen, the king's servants became violently frightened. He soon found out why. Now the servants of the king began to murmur, saying, Now the king will slay us, as he has our brethren, because their flocks were scattered by the wickedness of these men. And they began to weep exceedingly, saying, Behold, our flocks are scattered already. Now they wept because of the fear of being slain. Now when Ammon saw this, his heart was swollen within him with joy. For, said he, I will show forth my power unto these my fellow servants, or the power which is in me, in restoring these flocks unto the king, that I may win the hearts of these my fellow servants, that I may lead them to believe in my words. And now these were the thoughts of Ammon, when he saw the afflictions of those whom he termed to be his brethren. But Ammon saw this as a great opportunity to save the lives of the king's shepherds and win favor with the king at the same time. How he planned to do this was dangerous but exciting. And it came to pass that he flattered them by his words, saying, My brethren, be of good cheer, and let us go in search of the flocks, and we will gather them together and bring them back unto the place of water. And thus we will preserve the flocks unto the king, and he will not slay us. And it came to pass that they went in search of the flocks, and they did follow Ammon, and they rushed forth with much swiftness, and did head the flocks of the king, and did gather them together again to the place of water. And those men again stood to scatter their flocks. But Ammon said unto his brethren, Encircle the flocks round about, that they flee not. And I go and contend with these men who do scatter our flocks. Therefore they did as Ammon commanded them. And he went forth and stood to contend with those who stood by the waters of Sebus, and they were in number not a few. The king's shepherds must have been puzzled by Ammon's proposal to go and have a little talk with these criminal sheep rustlers. Therefore they did not fear Ammon, for they supposed that one of their men could slay him according to their pleasure. For they knew not that the Lord had promised Mosiah that he would deliver his sons out of their hands. Neither did they know anything concerning the Lord. Therefore they delighted in the destruction of their brethren, and for this cause they stood to scatter the flocks of the king. But Ammon stood forth and began to cast stones at them with his sling. Yea, with mighty power he did sling stones amongst them, and thus he slew a certain number of them, insomuch that they began to be astonished at his power. Nevertheless, they were angry because of the slain of their brethren, and they were determined that he should fall. Therefore, seeing that they could not hit him with their stones, they came forth with clubs to slay him. It is interesting that Ammon did not confer with these roustabouts at all, but took out his sling and killed six of them. 
Of course, they were planning to kill Ammon, but he never got close enough to be attacked. They therefore decided to attack him en masse with clubs. But he had a surprise for them. But behold, every man that lifted his club to smite Ammon, he smote off their arms with his sword. For he did withstand their blows by smiting their arms with the edge of his sword, insomuch that they began to be astonished, and began to flee before him. Yea, and they were not few in number, and he caused them to flee by the strength of his arm. Now six of them had fallen by the sling, but he slew none save it were their leader with his sword, and he smote off as many of their arms as were lifted against him, and they were not a few. When the astonished servants of the king saw what Ammon had done, they wondered what they could do to get the king to believe their report. They needed evidence, or the king would think they were blatant liars. Here is how it all ended up. And when he had driven them afar off, he returned, and they watered their flocks, and returned them to the pasture of the king, and then went in unto the king, bearing the arms which had been smitten off by the sword of Ammon, of those who sought to slay him. And they were carried in unto the king for a testimony of the things which they had done. In volume 2, page 341, there is a portrayal of Ammon's encounter with the sheep rustlers. Alma chapter 18 Just as the servants had suspected, the king was very skeptical about their report on Ammon, at least when he first heard it. But after they had all testified of what they had seen and said it looked as though he could not even be killed, both the king and his servants began developing theories as to who Ammon was. And it came to pass that King Lamoni caused that his servants should stand forth and testify to all the things which they had seen concerning the matter. And when they had all testified to the things which they had seen, and he had learned of the faithfulness of Ammon in preserving his flocks, and also of his great power in contending against those who sought to slay him, he was astonished exceedingly and said, Surely this is more than a man. Behold, is not this the great spirit who doth send such great punishments upon this people because of their murders? And they answered the king and said, Whether he be the great spirit or a man, we know not. But this much we do know, that he cannot be slain by the enemies of the king. Neither can they scatter the king's flocks when he is with us because of his expertness and great strength. Therefore we know that he is a friend to the king. And now, O king, we do not believe that a man has such great power, for we know he cannot be slain. As the king contemplated the possibility that Ammon might be the great spirit, Lamoni feared that Ammon might have come to punish him for slaying his servants just because they lost a few sheep. And now when the king heard these words, he said unto them, Now I know that it is the great spirit, and he has come down at this time to preserve your lives, that I might not slay you as I did your brethren. Now this is the great spirit of whom our fathers have spoken. Now this was the tradition of Lamoni, which he had received from his father, that there was a great spirit. 
Notwithstanding they believed in a great spirit, they supposed that whatsoever they did was right. Nevertheless, Lamoni began to fear exceedingly, with fear lest he had done wrong in slaying his servants. For he had slain many of them because their brethren had scattered their flocks at the place of water, and thus, because they had had their flocks scattered, they were slain. The problem was that he had slain many of his servants merely because they had allowed the king's sheep to be scattered and stolen. Now it was the practice of the Lamanites to stand by the waters of Sebus to scatter the flocks of the people, that thereby they might drive away many that were scattered unto their own land, it being a practice of plunder among them. It is amazing that the king would allow the hoodlums in his kingdom to scatter and steal his sheep, and then punish his own servants as though it was all their fault. These verses indicate that a deep sense of guilt was gradually creeping in on the king. He was anxious to talk to Ammon, and was amazed to learn where he was and what he was doing. And it came to pass that King Lamoni inquired of his servants, saying, Where is this man that has such great power? And they said unto him, Behold, he is feeding thy horses. Now the king had commanded his servants, previous to the time of the watering of their flocks, that they should prepare his horses and chariots, and conduct him forth to the land of Nephi. For there had been a great feast appointed at the land of Nephi by the father of Lamoni, who was king over all the land. Now when King Lamoni heard that Ammon was preparing his horses and his chariots, he was more astonished because of the faithfulness of Ammon, saying, Surely there has not been any servant among all my servants that has been so faithful as this man, for even he doth remember all my commandments to execute them. Now I surely know that this is the great spirit, and I would desire him that he come in unto me, but I durst not. The fact that the king durst not send for Ammon worked out to Ammon's advantage, the record says. And it came to pass that when Ammon had made ready the horses and the chariots for the king and his servants, he went in unto the king, and he saw that the countenance of the king was changed. Therefore he was about to return out of his presence. And one of the king's servants said unto him, Rebanah which is being interpreted powerful or great king, considering their kings to be powerful. And thus he said unto him, Rabbana, the king desireth thee to stay. Therefore Ammon turned himself unto the king, and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do for thee, O king? And the king answered him not for the space of an hour, according to their time, for he knew not what he should say unto him. And it came to pass that Ammon said unto him again, What desirest thou of me? But the king answered him not. And it came to pass that Ammon, being filled with the Spirit of God, therefore he perceived the thoughts of the king, and he said unto him, Is it because thou hast heard that I defended thy servants and thy flocks, and slew seven of their brethren with a sling and with a sword? and smote off the arms of others in order to defend thy flocks and thy servants? Behold, is it this that causeth thy marvelings? Ammon was very puzzled by the king's behavior. 
the Holy Spirit then whispered to him what was bothering the king. So Ammon asked if these were the things that were bothering him. I say unto you, What is it that thy marvelings are so great? Behold, I am a man, and am thy servant. Therefore whatsoever thou desirest which is right, that will I do. Now when the king had heard these words, he marveled again, for he beheld that Ammon could discern his thoughts. But notwithstanding this, King Lamoni did open his mouth and said unto him, Who art thou? Art thou that great spirit who knows all things? Ammon answered and said unto him, I am not. When Lamoni heard Ammon say he was only an ordinary man, but nevertheless could discern his thoughts, the king finally had the courage to speak out. And the king said, How knowest thou the thoughts of my heart? Thou mayest speak boldly, and tell me concerning these things. And also tell me by what power ye slew and smote off the arms of my brethren that scattered my flocks. And now, if thou wilt tell me concerning these things, whatsoever thou desirest I will give unto thee. And if it were needed, I would guard thee with my armies, but I know that thou art more powerful than all they. Nevertheless, whatsoever thou desirest of me, I will grant it unto thee. Ammon knew that an amazing thing was happening to the king, and he had to be very careful how he proceeded. Now Ammon, being wise, yet harmless, he said unto Lamoni, Wilt thou hearken unto my words, if I tell thee by what power I do these things? And this is the thing that I desire of thee. And the king answered him and said, Yea, I will believe all thy words. And thus he was caught with guile. By getting the king to agree and accept something he had not yet even heard, was described in the record as being caught with guile. Now, this word usually means something crafty and deceitful, but it also means something that is clever or shrewd. In other words, Ammon was trying to get the mindset of the king postured to listen sympathetically to what he was about to say. When Ammon gained a commitment that the king trusted him to tell the truth, Ammon boldly began teaching the king the gospel. He began by asking the king a question. And Ammon began to speak unto him with boldness, and said unto him, Believest thou that there is a God? And he answered and said unto him, I do not know what that meaneth. And then Ammon said, Believest thou that there is a great spirit? And he said, Yea. And Ammon said, This is God. And Ammon said unto him again, Believest thou that this great spirit who is God created all things which are in heaven and in the earth? And he said, Yea, I believe that he created all things which are in the earth, but I do not know the heavens. And Ammon said unto him, The heavens is a place where God dwells, and all his holy angels. And King Lamoni said, Is it above the earth? And Ammon said, Yea, and he looketh down upon all the children of men, and he knows all the thoughts and intents of the heart. For by his hand were they all created from the beginning. 
By teaching the king in terms of the great spirit which Lamoni already believed in, Ammon was able to make rapid progress in this gospel discussion. King Lamoni had another question. And King Lamoni said, I believe all these things which thou hast spoken. Art thou sent from God? Ammon said unto him, I am a man. And man in the beginning was created after the image of God. And I am called by his Holy Spirit to teach these things unto this people, that they may be brought to a knowledge of that which is just and true. And a portion of that Spirit dwelleth in me, which giveth me knowledge, and also power according to my faith and desires which are in God. Having established all of these basic concepts in the mind of King Lamoni, Ammon was ready to tell Lamoni the great gospel story from the very beginning. Now when Ammon had said these words, he began at the creation of the world, and also the creation of Adam, and told him all the things concerning the fall of man, and rehearsed and laid before him the records and the holy scriptures of the people, which had been spoken by the prophets even down to the time that their father Lehi left Jerusalem. And he also rehearsed unto them, for it was unto the king and to his servants, all the journeyings of their fathers in the wilderness, and all their sufferings with hunger and thirst, and their travails, and so forth. And he also rehearsed unto them concerning the rebellions of Laman and Lemuel, and the sons of Ishmael. Yea, all their rebellions did he relate unto them, and he expounded unto them all the records and scriptures from the time that Lehi left Jerusalem down to the present time. It is amazing that Ammon dared to share with Lamoni so much gospel meat. Much of what he was telling the king was far beyond the milk stage or the simple gospel story. But Ammon knew the Spirit was working on the mind of the king, and so he let the Spirit guide him as to what Lamoni could be taught. But this is not all, for he expounded unto them the plan of redemption, which was prepared from the foundation of the world. And he also made known unto them concerning the coming of Christ, and all the works of the Lord did he make known unto them. Ammon now found himself not only teaching the king, but many of his servants, as indicated in verse 37. Ammon therefore launched into a discussion of the redemption, which would come through the sacrifice of the Son of God, and how sins could therefore be blotted out and forgiven. The Spirit strongly confirmed these teachings on the heart of Lamuni. He knew they were true. And it came to pass that after he had said all these things, and expounded them to the king, that the king believed all his words, and he began to cry unto the Lord, saying, O Lord, have mercy, according to thy abundant mercy, which thou hast had upon the people of Nephi, have upon me and my people. And now when he had said this, he fell unto the earth as if he were dead. This could have greatly frightened an inexperienced missionary, but not Ammon. He had seen this same thing happen to Alma several years earlier when the angel appeared and rebuked all of them for apostatizing and trying to destroy the church. And it came to pass that his servants took him and carried him in unto his wife, 
and laid him upon a bed. And he lay as if he were dead for the space of two days and two nights. And his wife and his sons and his daughters mourned over him. Alma chapter 19 It was fortunate that the servants of the king had heard the gospel as it was taught to King Lamoni, because by now they had gained a testimony that Ammon was indeed a prophet. And in this moment of crisis, when many thought the king was dead, their testimonies became extremely important. The record says, And it came to pass that after two days and two nights, they were about to take his body and lay it in a sepulcher which they had made for the purpose of burying their dead. Now the queen, having heard of the fame of Ammon, therefore she sent and desired that he should come in unto her. And it came to pass that Ammon did as he was commanded, and went in unto the queen, and desired to know what she would that he should do. And she said unto him, The servants of my husband have made it known unto me that thou art a prophet of a holy God and that thou hast power to do many mighty works in his name. Therefore, if this is the case, I would that ye should go in and see my husband, for he has been laid upon his bed for the space of two days and two nights. And some say that he is not dead, but others say that he is dead, and that he stinketh, and that he ought to be placed in the sepulchre. But as for myself, to me he doth not stink. From Ammon's point of view, a miracle was in the making. He knew what was happening to Lamoni in the spirit world, and the queen could now play an important role as events began to unfold. Now this was what Ammon desired, for he knew that King Lamoni was under the power of God. He knew that the dark veil of unbelief was being cast away from his mind, and the light which did light up his mind which was the light of the glory of God, which was a marvelous light of his goodness. Yea, this light had infused such joy into his soul, the cloud of darkness having been dispelled, and that the light of everlasting life was lit up in his soul. Yea, he knew that this had overcome his natural frame, and he was carried away in God. Therefore what the queen desired of him was his only desire. Therefore he went in to see the king, according as the queen had desired him. And he saw the king, and he knew that he was not dead. And he said unto the queen, He is not dead, but he sleepeth in God, and on the morrow he shall rise again. Therefore bury him not. And Ammon said unto her, Believest thou this? And she said unto him, I have had no witness, save thy word and the word of our servants. Nevertheless, I believe that it shall be according as thou hast said. And Ammon said unto her, Blessed art thou because of thy exceeding faith. I say unto thee, woman, there has not been such great faith among all the people of the Nephites. Here indeed was a great leap of faith. This young queen had nothing but what she had heard from the servants to bolster her trust in Ammon, but no doubt the spirit was also operating on her mind. She had exhibited such a tremendous amount of faith in Ammon that it astonished him. Now it was just a question of time until her faith would be fully vindicated.
And it came to pass that she watched over the bed of her husband from that time, even until that time on the morrow, which Ammon had appointed that he should rise. And it came to pass that he arose, according to the words of Ammon. And as he arose, he stretched forth his hand unto the woman and said, Blessed be the name of God, and blessed art thou. For as sure as thou livest, behold, I have seen my Redeemer, and he shall come forth and be born of a woman, and he shall redeem all mankind who believe on his name. Now when he had said these words, his heart was swollen within him, and he sunk again with joy, and the queen also sunk down, being overpowered by the Spirit. From these two verses, we can immediately conclude what had happened to Lamoni. He had been ministered to by the Savior himself and had been taught the broad ramifications of the gospel for two days and nights. Now Ammon, seeing the Spirit of the Lord poured out according to his prayers upon the Lamanites, his brethren, who had been the cause of so much mourning among the Nephites, or among all the people of God, because of their iniquities and their traditions, he fell upon his knees and began to pour out his soul in prayer and thanksgiving to God for what he had done for his brethren. And he was also overpowered with joy. And thus they all three had sunk to the earth. Now the role of the servants became crucial. If they had not been allowed to gain testimonies themselves, they could have gone into a panic and raised a riot among the people of the city. Now when the servants of the king had seen that they had fallen, they also began to cry unto God, for the fear of the Lord had come upon them also, for it was they who had stood before the king and testified unto him concerning the great power of Ammon. Now we are introduced to a Lamanite woman who had been a secret convert to Christianity for many years. Her name was Abish. And it came to pass that they did call on the name of the Lord in their might, even until they had all fallen to the earth, save it were one of the Lamanitish women, whose name was Abish, she having been converted unto the Lord for many years on account of a remarkable vision of her father. Thus, having been converted to the Lord, and never having made it known, therefore when she saw that all the servants of Lamoni had fallen to the earth, and also her mistress, the queen, and the king, and Ammon lay prostrate upon the earth, she knew that it was the power of God. And supposing that this opportunity, by making known unto the people what had happened among them, that by beholding this scene it would cause them to believe in the power of God, therefore she ran forth from house to house, making it known unto the people. The amazing thing about all of this is the fact that a whole community of renegade Lamanites were being introduced to the gospel of Jesus Christ under circumstances which were almost beyond belief. The prayers of Ammon were being answered in a phenomenal way. And they began to assemble themselves together unto the house of the king. And there came a multitude, and to their astonishment they beheld the king and the queen and their servants prostrate upon the earth, and they all lay there as though they were dead. And they also saw Ammon. And behold, 
he was a Nephite. And now the people began to murmur among themselves, some saying that it was a great evil that had come upon them, or upon the king and his house, because he had suffered that the Nephite should remain in the land. And others rebuked them, saying, The king hath brought this evil upon his house, because he slew his servants who had had their flocks scattered at the waters of Sebus. The heated debate among the people could have ruined everything. The situation threatened to get completely out of control, and one man even decided to kill Ammon. The record says, And they were also rebuked by those men who had stood at the waters of Sebus and scattered the flocks which belonged to the king. For they were angry with Ammon because of the number which he had slain of their brethren at the waters of Sebus while defending the flocks of the king. Now one of them, whose brother had been slain with the sword of Ammon, being exceeding angry with Ammon, drew his sword and went forth that he might let it fall upon Ammon to slay him. And as he lifted the sword to smite him, behold, he fell dead. Mormon the historian now injects an editorial comment into the record with the following statement. Now we see that Ammon could not be slain, for the Lord had said unto Mosiah his father, I will spare him, and it shall be unto him according to thy faith. Therefore Mosiah trusted him unto the Lord. The miraculous manner in which all of these events combine to provide for the massive conversion of the whole community is marvelous to contemplate. But Satan still had a few licks to get in before he surrendered this large assembly of Lamanites to the conversion process. The record continues, And it came to pass that when the multitude beheld that the man had fallen dead, who lifted the sword to slay Ammon, fear came upon them all, and they durst not put forth their hands to touch him or any of those who had fallen. And they began to marvel again among themselves, what could be the cause of this great power, or what all these things could mean? And it came to pass that there were many among them who said that Ammon was the great spirit, and others said he was sent by the great spirit. But others rebuked them all, saying that he was a monster who had been sent from the Nephites to torment them. And there were some who said that Ammon was sent by the great spirit to afflict them, because of their iniquities, and that it was the great spirit that had always attended the Nephites, who had ever delivered them out of their hands. And they said that it was this great spirit who had destroyed so many of their brethren, the Lamanites. Nobody in the crowd was more distraught by this great contention than Abish, the secret Christian, who suddenly felt guilty for bringing the people together. From her point of view, something had to happen, and it had to happen quickly. In fact, we will see shortly that she took some action herself. And thus the contention began to be exceeding sharp among them. And while they were thus contending, the woman's servant who had caused the multitude to be gathered together came. And when she saw the contention which was among the multitude, she was exceeding sorrowful even unto tears. And it came to pass that she went and took the queen by the hand that perhaps she might raise her from the ground. And as soon as she touched her hand, she arose and stood upon her feet and cried with a loud voice, saying, O blessed Jesus, who has saved me from an awful hell, 
O blessed God, have mercy on this people. What is so remarkable about this statement is the fact that the queen had only been in the spirit world a short time, but she spoke as though she were a seasoned convert. Obviously, she had been extremely receptive to the condensed gospel message as it had been taught to her, perhaps even by the Savior himself. And when she had said this, she clasped her hands, being filled with joy, speaking many words which were not understood. And when she had done this, she took the king Lamoni by the hand, and behold, he arose and stood upon his feet, and he immediately seeing the contention among his people, went forth and began to rebuke them and to teach them the words which he had heard from the mouth of Ammon. And as many as heard his words believed and were converted unto the Lord. Up to this point, everything was progressing perfectly. But there seemed to have been some on the outer fringe of the crowd who either didn't hear what was being said or who were so bitter in their apostate minds that everything they heard was abhorrent to them. The scripture says, But there were many among them who would not hear his words, therefore they went their way. But meanwhile, Ammon arose and began to minister to the people. Now the people were enraptured with what Lamoni and the queen and Ammon had to say to them. In fact, it appears that a great spiritual experience was occurring even among the members of the crowd. And it came to pass that when Ammon arose, he also administered unto them, and also did all the servants of Lamoni, and they did all declare unto the people the selfsame thing, that their hearts had been changed, that they had no more desire to do evil. And behold, Many did declare unto the people that they had seen angels and had conversed with them, and thus they had told them things of God and of his righteousness. And it came to pass that there were many that did believe in their words, and as many as did believe were baptized, and they became a righteous people, and they did establish a church among them. It is obvious that Ammon knew what he was supposed to do, as he saw this marvelous Pentecostal experience producing such a marvelous harvest of souls. He immediately began baptizing and organizing them into a branch of the church. As of the moment, there was nothing like this occurring in any part of the entire Lamanite world. Now Mormon, the historian, could not resist adding this jubilant postscript at the end of this marvelous chapter. And thus the work of the Lord did commence among the Lamanites. Thus the Lord did begin to pour out his Spirit upon them. And we see that his arm is extended to all people who will repent and believe on his name. Alma chapter 20 Once the church had become fairly well established in the land of Ishmael under the sponsorship of King Lamoni, he was anxious to take Ammon to the headquarters or capital of the Lamanite world, which was at the city of Nephi. At first, Ammon thought this was a wonderful break to have Lamoni introduce Ammon to his father, the king of all the Lamanites. But something abruptly changed his mind. Here is the story. And it came to pass that when they had established a church in that land, 
that King Lamoni desired that Ammon should go with him to the land of Nephi, that he might show him unto his father. And the voice of the Lord came to Ammon, saying, Thou shalt not go up to the land of Nephi, for behold, the king will seek thy life. But thou shalt go to the land of Madoni, where behold, thy brother Aaron, and also Mulochi and Amma are in prison. In this revelation, Ammon was told four things. First, he was told not to go to Nephi. Second, he was told that if Lamoni introduced him to the king of the Lamanites, the wicked ruler would try to kill Ammon. Third, he was told that three of Ammon's missionary companions were in serious difficulty. They had been captured and imprisoned in the island of Madoni. And fourth, Ammon was told that he should leave immediately to go to Madoni and help rescue his fellow missionaries, which included his brother Aaron. Now it came to pass that when Ammon had heard this, he said unto Lamoni, Behold, my brother and brethren are in prison at Madoni, and I go that I may deliver them. Now Lamoni said unto Ammon, I know in the strength of the Lord thou canst do all things. But behold, I will go with thee to the land of Madoni. For the king of the land of Madoni, whose name is Antiamno, is a friend unto me. Therefore I go to the land of Madoni, that I may flatter the king of the land, and he will cast thy brethren out of prison. Now Lomoni said unto him, Who told thee that thy brethren were in prison? It is interesting that Lamoni wondered how Ammon knew that his brother and two other fellow missionaries had been imprisoned in Madoni. Ammon was very forthright about it and said God had told him. And Ammon said unto him, No one hath told me, save it be God. And he said unto me, Go and deliver thy brethren, for they are in prison in the land of Madoni. Now when Lamoni had heard this, he caused that his servants should make ready his horses and his chariots. And he said unto Ammon, Come, I will go with thee down to the land of Madoni, and there I will plead with the king that he will cast thy brethren out of prison. On this journey Ammon and Lamoni met Lamoni's father, the king over all the Lamanites, and God had warned Ammon that this man would try to kill him. And it came to pass that as Ammon and Lamoni were journeying thither, they met the father of Lamoni, who was king over all the land. And behold, the father of Lamoni said unto him, Why did ye not come to the feast on that great day, when I made a feast unto my sons, and unto my people? And he also said, Whither art thou going with this Nephite, who is one of the children of a liar? And it came to pass that Lamoni rehearsed unto him whither he was going, for he feared to offend him. And he also told him all the cause of his tarrying in his own kingdom, that he did not go unto his father to the feast which he had prepared. Like all enthusiastic new converts, Lamoni unloaded on his father the whole story of the marvelous things that had happened to his people in the land of Ishmael. No doubt he thought his father would be ecstatic. And now when Lamoni had rehearsed unto him all these things, behold, to his astonishment, his father was angry with him and said, Lamoni, thou art going to deliver these Nephites, who are sons of a liar. Behold, he robbed our fathers, and now his children are also come amongst us, 
that they may by their cunning and their lyings deceive us, that they again may rob us of our property. The old king was prepared to assert his authority. The Lamanites were being subverted by their old enemy, the Nephites. As the supreme king of the Lamanites, he felt compelled to assert his authority. Now the father of Lamoni commanded him that he should slay Ammon with the sword. And he also commanded him that he should not go to the land of Madoni, but that he should return with him to the land of Ishmael. The old king must have been astonished at the response of his son. But Lamoni said unto him, I will not slay Ammon, neither will I return to the land of Ishmael, but I go to the land of Madoni that I may release the brethren of Ammon, for I know that they are just men and holy prophets of the true God. Of course, the king was not accustomed to being thwarted when he issued a command, especially in spirit of defiance by one of his own sons. Now when his father had heard these words, he was angry with him, and he drew his sword that he might smite him to the earth. But Ammon stood forth and said unto him, Behold, thou shalt not slay thy son. Nevertheless, it were better that he should fall than thee, for behold, he has repented of his sins. But if thou shouldst fall at this time in thine anger, thy soul could not be saved. And again, it is expedient that thou shouldst forbear. For if thou shouldst slay thy son, he being an innocent man, his blood would cry from the ground to the Lord his God for vengeance to come upon thee, and perhaps thou wouldst lose thy soul. Now when Ammon had said these words unto him, he answered him, saying, I know that if I should slay my son, that I should shed innocent blood, for it is thou that hast sought to destroy him. And he stretched forth his hand to slay Ammon, but Ammon withstood his blows, and also smote his arm that he could not use it. Now when the king saw that Ammon could slay him, he began to plead with Ammon that he would spare his life. Suddenly everything had been reversed. The king of all the Lamanites was on the ground, pleading with Ammon to spare his life. It is rather amazing what Ammon did next. But Ammon raised his sword and said unto him, Behold, I will smite thee, except thou wilt grant unto me that my brethren may be cast out of prison. Now the king, fearing he should lose his life, said, if thou wilt spare me, I will grant unto thee whatsoever thou wilt ask, even to half of the kingdom. Now when Ammon saw that he had wrought upon the old king according to his desire, he said unto him, If thou wilt grant that my brethren may be cast out of prison, and also that Lamoni may retain his kingdom, and that ye be not displeased with him, but grant that he may do according to his own desires in whatsoever thing he thinketh, then will I spare thee, otherwise I will smite thee to the earth. Now when Ammon had said these words, the king began to rejoice because of his life. Apparently the old king had expected Ammon to slay him, but when he saw that Ammon was going to spare his life, he not only rejoiced, but suddenly turned very generous. And when he saw that Ammon had no desire to destroy him, and when he also saw the great love he had for his son Lamoni, he was astonished exceedingly and said, 
because this is all that thou hast desired, that I would release thy brethren, and suffer that my son Lamoni should retain his kingdom, behold, I will grant unto you that my son may retain his kingdom from this time and forever, and I will govern him no more. And I will also grant unto thee that thy brethren may be cast out of prison, and thou and thy brethren may come unto me in my kingdom, for I shall greatly desire to see thee. For the king was greatly astonished at the words which he had spoken, and also at the words which had been spoken by his son Lamoni. Therefore he was desirous to learn them. It is clear that the Spirit was working on the old king. He was not only impressed with what had happened, but he wanted these men to visit him in the city of Nephi so he could learn more about them. And it came to pass that Ammon and Lamoni proceeded on their journey towards the land of Madoni. And Lamoni found favor in the eyes of the king of the land. Therefore the brethren of Ammon were brought forth out of prison. When Ammon saw his fellow missionaries and saw how cruelly they had been treated, his heart melted within him. It says, and when Ammon did meet them, he was exceeding sorrowful. For behold, they were naked, and their skins were worn exceedingly because of being bound with strong cords. And they also had suffered hunger, thirst, and all kinds of afflictions. Nevertheless, they were patient in all their sufferings. And as it happened, it was their lot to have fallen into the hands of a more hardened and a more stiff-necked people, Therefore they would not hearken unto their words. And they had cast them out, and had smitten them, and had driven them from house to house, and from place to place, even until they had arrived in the land of Madoni. And there they were taken and cast into prison, and bound with strong cords, and kept in prison for many days, and were delivered by Lamoni and Ammon. Alma chapter 21 it will be recalled that in 78 B.C., Mormon, the historian, decided to suspend the record of Alma for a few chapters and do a backflash so the Book of Mormon would incorporate the records of the missionaries who had gone down to teach the gospel to the Lamanites. Now, in this chapter, we're about to do a backflash within the original backflash, so we will know what happened to Aaron after he separated from Ammon. Now, when Ammon and his brethren separated themselves in the borders of the land of the Lamanites, behold, Aaron took his journey towards the land which was called by the Lamanites Jerusalem, calling it after the land of their father's nativity, and it was a way joining the borders of Mormon. Now the Lamanites and the Amalekites and the people of Amulon had built a great city which was called Jerusalem. Now the Lamanites of themselves were sufficiently hardened, but the Amalekites and the Amulonites were still harder. Therefore they did cause the Lamanites that they should harden their hearts that they should wax strong in wickedness and their abominations. Mormon wants us to realize that when the sons of Mosiah went down to preach to the Lamanites, they discovered themselves in a most decadent and apostate people. Among the most apostate were former Nephites. Two of them are named specifically in verse 3, 
as the Amalekites and the Amulonites. The Amalekites do not have any background history in the Book of Mormon. We just know that they were once Nephites and they apostatized and joined the Lamanites. But we do know a lot about the Amulonites. They are the descendants of Amulon, who was one of the leaders of the wicked priests of King Noah. He and his associates had kidnapped a number of Lamanite girls for their wives. Earlier, they had joined with King Noah in burning at the stake the prophet Abinadi. These were truly decadent, wicked people. And it came to pass that Aaron came to the city of Jerusalem and first began to preach to the Amalekites. And he began to preach to them in their synagogues, for they had built synagogues after the order of the Nehors. For many of the Amalekites and the Amulonites were after the order of the Nehors. Now we discover that Aaron and his companions had encountered the Amalekites and the Amulites, which occupied a city called Jerusalem. They had not only abandoned the religion of their fathers, but had adopted the teachings of Nehor. Now we must remind ourselves that this record is dealing with a period of back around 90 B.C., which was nine years before Ammonihah, the capital of the Nehor religion, was destroyed. We must also recall that Nehor taught that all mankind would be automatically redeemed by God. So they denied the coming of Christ and said there was no need for the wicked to repent or reform. As a consequence, when the missionaries began to preach in Jerusalem, they were immediately challenged. Therefore, as Aaron entered into one of their synagogues to preach unto the people, and as he was speaking unto them, behold, there arose an Amalekite, and began to contend with him, saying, What is that thou hast testified? Hast thou seen an angel? Why do not angels appear unto us? Behold, are not this people as good as thy people? Thou also sayest, Except we repent, we shall perish. How knowest thou the thought and intent of our hearts? How knowest thou that we have cause to repent? How knowest thou that we are not a righteous people? Behold, we have built sanctuaries, and we do assemble ourselves together to worship God. We do believe that God will save all men. Aaron knew he was in a nest of rank apostates, so where would he begin? he decided to make his first approach concerning the coming of Christ. Now Aaron said unto him, Believest thou that the Son of God shall come to redeem mankind from their sins? And the man said unto him, We do not believe that thou knowest any such thing. We do not believe in these foolish traditions. We do not believe that thou knowest of things to come. Neither do we believe that thy fathers, and also that our fathers, did know concerning the things which they spake of that which is to come. Aaron thought he would prove his point by referring to the Scriptures, for they most certainly taught about the coming of Christ. Now Aaron began to open the Scriptures unto them concerning the coming of Christ, and also concerning the resurrection of the dead, and that there could be no redemption for mankind, save it were through the death and sufferings of Christ and the atonement of his blood. And it came to pass, as he began to expound these things unto them, 
They were angry with him and began to mock him, and they would not hear the words which he spake. Therefore when he saw that they would not hear his words, he departed out of their synagogue and came over to a village which was called Aniantai. And there he found Mulokai preaching the word unto them, and also Amma and his brethren. And they contended with many about the word. These missionaries had now sampled three different regions without the least bit of encouraging success. In fact, things soon became worse. And it came to pass that they saw that the people would harden their hearts, therefore they departed and came over into the land of Madonai. And they did preach the word unto many, and few believed on the words which they taught. Nevertheless, Aaron and a certain number of his brethren were taken and cast into prison, and the remainder of them fled out of the land of Madonai unto the regions round about. And those who were cast into prison suffered many things, and they were delivered by the hand of Lamoni and Ammon, and they were fed and clothed. And they went forth again to declare the word, and thus they were delivered for the first time out of prison, and thus they had suffered. When Ammon and Lamoni had succeeded in getting their fellow missionaries released, the missionaries associated with Aaron went forth once again. Finally they began to have some success. And they went forth whithersoever they were led by the Spirit of the Lord, preaching the word of God in every synagogue of the Amalekites, or in every assembly of the Lamanites where they could be admitted. And it came to pass that the Lord began to bless them, insomuch that they brought many to the knowledge of the truth. Yea, they did convince many of their sins, and of the traditions of their fathers which were not correct. But what had happened to Ammon and King Lamoni after Aaron and his brethren were rescued from prison? Here is what we read. And it came to pass that Ammon and Lamoni returned from the land of Madoni to the land of Ishmael, which was the land of their inheritance. And King Lamoni would not suffer that Ammon should serve him or be his servant, but he caused that there should be synagogues built in the land of Ishmael, and he caused that his people, or the people who were under his reign, should assemble themselves together. And he did rejoice over them, and he did teach them many things, and he did also declare unto them that they were a people who were under him, and that they were a free people that they were free from the oppressions of the king his father, for that his father had granted unto him that he might reign over the people who were in the land of Ishmael, and in all the land round about. It is wonderful that Lamoni not only promoted the gospel throughout the land of Ishmael, but he also adopted the original political principles which had been initiated by King Mosiah among the Nephites. And he also declared unto them, that they might have the liberty of worshipping the Lord their God according to their desires, in whatsoever place they were in, if it were in the land which was under the reign of King Lamoni. And Ammon did preach unto the people of King Lamoni, and it came to pass that he did teach them all things concerning things pertaining to righteousness, and he did exhort them daily with all diligence, and they gave heed unto his word, and they were zealous for keeping the commandments of God. Alma chapter 22 
In many ways, this is a most amazing chapter. In the beginning, things looked so bleak for Aaron and his fellow missionaries that they decided to take a leaf out of Ammon's book and offer to make themselves the personal servants of the old king if he would spare their lives. This is how the story begins. Now, as Ammon was thus teaching the people of Lamoni continually, we will return to the account of Aaron and his brethren. For after he departed from the land of Madonai, he was led by the Spirit to the land of Nephi, even to the house of the king which was over all the land, save it were the land of Ishmael. And he was the father of Lamoni. And it came to pass that he went in unto him into the king's palace with his brethren, and bowed himself before the king, and said unto him, Behold, O king, we are the brethren of Ammon, whom thou hast delivered out of prison. Aaron would never have guessed what the reaction of the old king would be to his strange request. And now, O king, if thou wilt spare our lives, we will be thy servants. And the king said unto them, Arise, for I will grant unto you your lives, and I will not suffer that ye shall be my servants, but I will insist that ye shall administer unto me for I have been somewhat troubled in mind because of the generosity and the greatness of the words of thy brother Ammon, and I desire to know the cause why he has not come up out of Madonai with thee. This verse must have come as a great surprise to Aaron. It contained four provisions. First, the king assured Aaron and his companions that he would spare their lives. Second, he would not consider them his servants. Third, his one request was that they should minister to him. The king had been doing a lot of thinking. He saw that Ammon had been very generous in sparing his life, even though the king was planning to kill Ammon. He was also very impressed with the words of Ammon. The king had never met such a human being. He also wondered why Ammon did not come to see him. Aaron sensed that something wonderful was developing in the mind of the king, which could be a great blessing to the missionaries. He therefore undertook to answer the king the best he could. And Aaron said unto the king, Behold, the Spirit of the Lord has called him another way. He has gone to the land of Ishmael to teach the people of Lamoni. But Aaron's answer simply provoked a new question. Now the king said unto them, what is this that ye have said concerning the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, this is the thing which doth trouble me. And also, what is this that Ammon said? If ye will repent, ye shall be saved. And if ye will not repent, ye shall be cast off at the last day. And Aaron answered him and said unto him, Believest thou that there is a God? And the king said, I know that the Amalekites say that there is a God, and I have granted unto them that they should build sanctuaries, that they may assemble themselves together to worship him. And if now thou sayest there is a God, behold, I will believe. And now when Aaron heard this, his heart began to rejoice, and he said, Behold, assuredly as thou livest, O king, there is a God. Now Aaron knew that the king had reached a high point in his effort to comprehend the gospel. And the king said, 
Is God that great spirit that brought our fathers out of the land of Jerusalem? And Aaron said unto him, Yea, he is that great spirit, and he created all things, both in heaven and in earth. Believest thou this? And he said, Yea, I believe that the great spirit created all things, and I desire that ye should tell me concerning all these things, and I will believe thy words. This was a thrilling statement to have the king invite Aaron to explain the gospel with an advanced commitment that he would believe all his words. Certainly no Lamanite would make such a statement unless he was completely animated by the Spirit of the Lord to do so. And it came to pass that when Aaron saw that the king would believe his words, he began from the creation of Adam, reading the scriptures unto the king, how God created man after his own image, and that God gave him commandments, and that because of transgression man had fallen. If we go back to Alma chapter 18, verse 36, you will see that Aaron is using exactly the same method of teaching the gospel that Ammon had used in converting Lamoni. And Aaron did expound unto him the scriptures from the creation of Adam, laying the fall of man before him, and their carnal state, and also the plan of redemption, which was prepared from the foundation of the world through Christ, for all whosoever would believe on his name. And since man had fallen, he could not merit anything of himself. But the sufferings and death of Christ atone for their sins through faith and repentance, and so forth. And that he breaketh the bands of death, that the grave shall have no victory, and that the sting of death should be swallowed up in the hopes of glory. And Aaron did expound all these things unto the king. Notice also that both Ammon and Aaron provided a comprehensive discussion of the mission of Jesus Christ and the meaning by which a person can obtain forgiveness of sins. And it came to pass that after Aaron had expounded these things unto him, the king said, what shall I do that I may have this eternal life of which thou hast spoken? Yea, what shall I do that I may be born of God, having this wicked spirit rooted out of my breast, and receive his spirit, that I may be filled with joy, that I may not be cast off at the last day? Behold, said he, I will give up all that I possess, Yea, I will forsake my kingdom, that I may receive this great joy. This was such a total commitment by the king to root out the wicked spirit from his breast and replace it with the Spirit of God, that one might have supposed that this would be enough. But Aaron wanted to be more specific. Therefore he said, But Aaron said unto him, If thou desirest this thing, if thou wilt bow down before God, yea, if thou wilt repent of all thy sins, and wilt bow down before God and call on his name in faith, believing that ye shall receive, then shalt thou receive the hope which thou desirest. And it came to pass that when Aaron had said these words, the king did bow down before the Lord upon his knees, yea, even he did prostrate himself upon the earth, and cried mightily, saying, 
O God, Aaron hath told me that there is a God, and if there is a God, and if thou art God, wilt thou make thyself known unto me, and I will give away all my sins to know thee, and that I may be raised from the dead and be saved at the last day. And now when the king had said these words, he was struck as if he were dead. This is such a complete duplication of everything that had happened to Lumuni that one is almost compelled to exclaim, Deja vu! In other words, it has been seen before. And it came to pass that his servants ran and told the queen all that had happened under the king. And she came in unto the king, and when she saw him lay as if he were dead, and also Aaron and his brethren standing as though they had been the cause of his fall, she was angry with them, and commanded that her servants, or the servants of the king, should take them and slay them. It is interesting that the elderly queen was not like Lamoni's wife. The wife of Lamoni had inquired of the servants and become convinced that Ammon was a prophet, but not so with the elderly queen. Filled with wrath, she just simply told her servants to slay Aaron and the other missionaries. Now the servants had seen the cause of the king's fall, therefore they durst not lay their hands on Aaron and his brethren. And they pled with the queen, saying, Why commandest thou that we should slay these men, when, behold, one of them is mightier than us all? Therefore we shall fall before them. Now when the queen saw the fear of the servants, she also began to fear exceedingly, lest there should some evil come upon her. And she commanded her servants that they should go and call the people, that they might slay Aaron and his brethren. When the servants refused to obey the queen's command, she ordered the crowd from off the street to be brought into the palace so they could kill the missionaries. Now when Aaron saw the determination of the queen, he also knowing the hardness of the hearts of the people, feared lest that a multitude should assemble themselves together, and there should be a great contention and a disturbance among them. Therefore he put forth his hand and raised the king from the earth, and said unto him, Stand. And he stood upon his feet, receiving his strength. Now this was done in the presence of the queen and many of the servants. And when they saw it, they greatly marveled and began to fear. And the king stood forth and began to minister unto them. And he did minister unto them insomuch that his whole household were converted unto the Lord. This mass conversion of the king and queen and their servants was a miracle. In fact, it was a result of a whole series of miracles. Probably the greatest miracle was having the crusty old king humble himself sufficiently so that he could be taken into the spirit world and there receive a brief but intensive education on the reality of Jesus Christ and the glorious redemption available to all who would repent and come unto Christ. Now there was a multitude gathered together because of the commandment of the queen, and there began to be great murmurings among them because of Aaron and his brethren. But the king stood forth among them and administered unto them, and they were pacified towards Aaron and those who were with him. And it came to pass that when the king saw that the people were pacified, he caused that Aaron and his brethren should stand forth in the midst of the multitude, and that they should preach the word unto them.
And it came to pass that the king sent a proclamation throughout all the land, amongst all his people who were in all his land, who were in all the regions round about which was bordering even to the sea, on the east and on the west, and which was divided from the land of Zarahemla by a narrow strip of wilderness, which ran from the sea east even to the sea west, and round about on the borders of the seashore, and the borders of the wilderness, which was on the north by the land of Zarahemla, through the borders of Mantai, by the head of the river Sidon, running from the east towards the west. And thus were the Lamanites and the Nephites divided. Now we come to the most elaborate geographical description of the land southward as it was divided between the Lamanites and Nephites. This is the most detailed description of the land southward in the entire Book of Mormon. Any theoretical description of Book of Mormon geography must take these five verses into account. Now the more idle part of the Lamanites lived in the wilderness and dwelt in tents, and they were spread through the wilderness on the west in the land of Nephi, yea, and also on the west of the land of Zarahemla, in the borders by the seashore, and on the west in the land of Nephi, in the place of their father's first inheritance, and thus bordering along by the seashore. And also there were many Lamanites on the east by the seashore, whither the Nephites had driven them. And thus the Nephites were nearly surrounded by the Lamanites. Nevertheless the Nephites had taken possession of all the northern parts of the land bordering on the wilderness, at the head of the river Sidon, from the east to the west, round about on the wilderness side, on the north, even until they came to the land which they called Bountiful. And it bordered upon the land which they called Desolation, it being so far northward that it came into the land which had been peopled and been destroyed, of whose bones we have spoken, which was discovered by the people of Zarahemla, it being the place of their first landing. And they came from there up into the south wilderness. Thus the land on the northward was called Desolation, and the land on the southward was called Bountiful, it being the wilderness which is filled with all manner of wild animals of every kind, a part of which had come from the land northward for food. And now it was only the distance of a day and a half's journey for a Nephite, on the line Bountiful and the land Desolation from the east to the west sea. And thus the land of Nephi and the land of Zarahemla were nearly surrounded by water, there being a small neck of land between the land northward and the land southward. And it came to pass that the Nephites had inhabited the land Bountiful, even from the east unto the west sea, and thus the Nephites in their wisdom with their guards and their armies had hemmed in the Lamanites on the south, that thereby they should have no more possessions on the north, that they might not overrun the land northward. It is highly significant that for several centuries the Nephite leaders labored mightily to preserve the land northward as a refuge in case they were forced out of the land southward. Although this account is abridged from the record of Alma, Mormon inserts an occasional editorial comment such as the next verse where he says, Therefore the Lamanites could have no more possessions only in the land of Nephi and the wilderness round about. Now this was wisdom in the Nephites. As the Lamanites were an enemy to them, they would not suffer their afflictions on every hand, and also that they might have a country whither they might flee according to their desires. 
And now I, after having said this, return again to the account of Ammon and Aaron, Omner and Himni, and their brethren. If you are enjoying this podcast with W. Cleon Skousen, you might enjoy his lectures recorded while at Brigham Young University, found at skousenlibrary.com.